0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the UT Podcast by Developing Lafayette. My name is Ben Powers. I'm your host, and what we like to do with this podcast is we like to invite different business owners, different community influencers in Lafayette Parish that really highlight Lafayette Parish and what we're all about. You know, technology is our friend, and then it's our enemy at the same time. I had to restart our network router. So we are finally live. Uh, I've been working on it for the past 15 minutes. Boyer sitting here uh, telling me that sometime he brings the issues with him. Uh, it's a funny little conversation there. But uh, So today we got a good episode. We're going to be talking with Boyer Reese, who's the founder and CEO of Good Eats Kitchen. And he is creating other things in the community that right. he'll be known as founder and creator and you know, wizard of whatever. <laughs> we're,
1: we're, uh, we're we're walking through the adventures of, of 2020, man. We've got a lot of, a lot of new things coming oh, up. Oh, yeah. So we're excited. Dude,
0: adventures of 2020. It's still 2020. It feels like it's into 2021 here. And uh, uh, people are still trying to figure out how to navigate the, the world of how it is now. Um, but so if you're watching live, feel free to uh, comment. Uh, you know, we're watching the comment section. And if you have a good question or if you have a something that you want to tell Boyer or tell myself uh, we will read them out loud and uh, share that that comment with the the people watching and so try to answer that question if it is a question. So um, as you know, this is Boyer. Um, We just got through talking about that. Um, We want to get to a a sponsor real quick and then we'll get on with the episode. So the sponsor uh, is Music Academy of Acadiana. Uh, They've been sponsoring for The better half of a year, probably a little longer now. Uh, They are uh, America. They should be America's top choice. They are Acadiana's top choice for music lessons and piano, guitar, voice, drums, violin, all that good stuff, audio production. Uh, Inside of the Music Academy, they also have their own recording studio, uh, Wave Theory Studio. So, literally, the Music Academy can teach anybody of any age, any style. To create music, learn music, and whichever instrument you want to learn, and then basically uh, bring you from newbie to recording artist within a few weeks, depending on your learning abilities. Uh, they can they can professionally record and mix your your music, what have you, inside the recording studio, and put it on iTunes. Uh, they are founded by Tim Benson. The uh, The owner, who is also a University of Louisiana at Lafayette Music School graduate. The academy is known as a top finalist in the best music school by Readers of the Times of Acadiana since 2016. And they have several national music school awards. Their goal is to make music lessons fun, educational, and to help foster the next generation of musicians and creative thinkers. You can find them out more at their website, musicacademyacadiana.com which you can see on your screen, and then also their Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all those uh, fancy social media sites. There's so many social media sites popping up now, uh, especially after 2020 with everything going on. So uh, look them up. If you want to learn music, you can either send yourself, uh, you can send your, 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 your child, uh, a student uh, of your choice. It just depends. Uh, they have great prices, um, and they're great. So check them out, and we really appreciate their sponsorship. And so now we are on with the episode. So again, Boyer, thank you for uh, coming on.
1: You bet, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to, excited to talk today.
0: Awesome. So tell me a little bit about uh, you and kind of the, 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 the moments before Good Eats Kitchen. Kind of give me the, 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 the history a little bit about you.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Acadiana native. Um, I grew up in Delcambre. Um, and sort of, you know, one of those deals where you graduate on Friday and you leave town on Saturday and never look back. <laughs> you know, I, I went to LSU for a, a few years um, and left LSU to go to culinary school. So I, I've always had a passion for cooking and, uh, you know, the sort of Cajun cliche like growing up at your grandmother's hip with the wooden spoon and watching her can and pickle and make roux and all that fun stuff. And so um, ended up going to culinary school in Baton Rouge. And then, while in culinary school, got a job with a corporate steakhouse called Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and mm-hmm. Wine Bar, that Baton Rouge location. Um, I think we opened in 03 or 04, something like that. So you helped open it? Yeah, I was part of the opening team. So at the time, I was just a you know, lonely cook. I, I wasn't in management. It was, it was really my first sort of professional cooking job. Um, and how long did that last? So the, the Baton Rouge location, I was only there for a couple of years, but I spent almost 14 years with the company. Um, so I had I'd had a number of restaurant and bar jobs throughout college and, you know, nothing that I would call real cooking. Um, this was sort of the first, you know, you go to culinary school, you get a real job and, and something where you're wearing a coat and all that kind of fun right. stuff, right? Um, so I spent about a year and a half in Baton Rouge and then got promoted to sous chef. So second in command of the kitchen at a San Antonio location that was opening up. So I transferred to San Antonio in January of 06. So about two years in Baton Rouge um moved to san antonio i was there until 2008 when i moved to austin um, to open another restaurant there again with flemings um, as the executive chef of that location Um, i did have the the opportunity in the summer of 08 to take about a two or three month leave of absence from the company and go to china Um, so i i cooked for the olympics um there in beijing so i ran uh, a pair of uh i ran the production kitchen for a pair of a venue facilities on the olympic green so we we cooked for the johnson and johnson uh olympic venue and then the omega the watch company um their sort of event pavilions on on the olympic property in china um, in beijing yeah so it was that was a i mean it really was a life-changing experience to be a 22 20 year old kid living in a you know downtown downtown (laughs) expat apartment in the center ring of beijing and I mean, it was, it was unbelievable work. We worked for probably six weeks straight, 20 hours a day during the Olympics themselves, but, you know, cooked for some dignitaries and lots of athletes. Like we, we put on a, a, at the Omega Pavilion, we put on an event for the swim team the night after Phelps won his 37th gold medal or whatever it was, you know, it it was, it was his big year. Got so many. Yeah. We cooked for the men's and women's U.S. team, USA basketball team. So I didn't really get to meet many of these people, but, um, but they they ate our food and we were in the (laughs) same, same, you know, facility. Um, and so that, that was an incredible experience for me and, you know, thankfully working for a, a corporate company that would allow me to, to go away for three months and then come back and, and kind of plug right back in. So, yeah. you know, it was in 2008 we moved to Austin um, where I spent about 10 years, um, 8 to 10 years in Austin. I forget how long it was now. Uh, well, I've had a couple kids along the way, so my memories, you know, uh, but so, so I was a, the youngest chef partner in the company's history when we opened that store. And how old are you? Uh, now I am, uh, freshly turned 38 last okay. month. Okay. Um, and so by the time I left Fleming's and, and, uh, I guess almost 2015 when we moved home, uh, I, I had sort of attained a level of regional corporate chef. So I ran not only my home restaurant, but 12 restaurants in total uh, from a culinary perspective. So just being sort of involved in corporate menu development, um, developing teams, our our corporate team, the chefs, the sous chefs. Uh, And so it was, it was very, a travel heavy role. And part of the drive to come back home at the time we had our, my wife and I, who's also from Acadiana, we had our first child and uh, he, he never has been a good sleeper, you know, for anyone out (laughs) there who, who has kids, it's. That in you're, itself
0: you're preaching to the choir, no, bro.
1: He didn't sleep more than like an hour and a half for his first like two years of life. Oh wow! It naps, nighttime, anything—it was wild. So, so we needed the village, man. And so we, um, you know, kind of left the career behind and came home. And and uh, I, I took a job. Uh, my wife is is also a classically trained pastry chef. Uh, so we're kind of both in the culinary world.
0: Have we? Does she do stuff here?
1: She's in sales. So, so okay. she, when we moved to Austin, she got out of the production side of the industry and into the brokerage uh, world, which is not to bog down the, the sales intricacies of the culinary industry, but she, she's a broker. And so she represents food manufacturers at the distribution level. Okay, so it's gotcha. a, it's a sales role, but without sort of the grind of having to sell day to yeah. day sales. Yeah. much better quality of life. Um, so she got into that side of the industry when we moved to Austin and was in the position to be able to kind of maintain a role like that when we moved to Acadiana. Um, so you guys lived in Austin. We did. Yeah. And a lot of people love Austin. It's great, man. We were, and we were there, um, sort of during the beginning of their tech boom. Um, like while we were there from, I think, 08 to right around 2015, the end of, the end of 2014, the tallest building in the city changed four times. Okay. You know what I mean? So like there were cranes everywhere, the construction was everywhere, um, when we bought our first home we lost like the first six offers we put we lost the cash buyers you know so it was like sort of that exodus from california yeah. all that tech money coming into the city and and so it was a, it was a great time as a as a young couple buying your first home I mean, you know it was a great time to be there because you were able to take advantage of a growing market and uh, being in the restaurant industry and in a high-end steakhouse right we were right near so my restaurant was in a development called the domain uh, and it's a, it's a spin on the web domain. So it's former IBM property. So we were right in the middle of, you know, Apple has their headquarters. You could see the Google headquarters from across the street. So it, from a, from a, a, a restaurant perspective, our location was very successful. Uh, so
0: Apple has a location in Austin.
1: They, they were building one when we left and it was, I don't know, the hundred thousand square foot facility okay, that okay. was two miles away. Cause they had their main
0: headquarters in, uh, Cupertino. Cupertino. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, Austin was great, man. We had we had a great time. Um, there's so much to do where we lived yeah. for for the for the first few years. I actually lived in the development where our where our restaurant was, so I could I could lay on the couch and see the front door to my, my restaurant, <laughs> which was good and bad, you know. Um, but having a new restaurant start up, it was nice to be that that yeah, close. Yeah. Um,
0: so so at what point? Like I'm, I ask everybody this that have lived outside of Lafayette and have made their way back to Lafayette. Yeah. Because a lot of people, a lot of young people say, "I can't wait to get out of my hometown." Sure. You know, I, I'm tired of this place. You know, so and so, so and sos is somebody who I don't like. Yeah. You know, or a group of people. They 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 move out for whatever reason. Uh, what brought you back? If you, know, you were living in Austin, yeah. where a lot of people say that they they hope Lafayette is the next Austin. Now, a lot of people don't want that. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people want Lafayette to be what it is, but to grow. In its own, you know. Shoes. Yeah,
1: I think the 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 economic future of Lafayette is going to dictate, you know, if we can make that jump or not. You know, yeah. just from a from a a growth perspective, you know. But for us, it was truly family. I mean, we 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 had our first child. It was a struggle being isolated, seven hours from home. You know, you we had a great group of friends, but there's only so much you can ask of your friends when it comes to infant care. Um, we wanted a second child and, and weren't prepared to do it alone. So it was, it was really to, to get back to that community, um, to get back to having the village support. You know, I, I grew up hunting and fishing and had been away from that world for 15 years, okay. you know, being in the restaurant business. And so it was something that always pulled on me to get back to that sort of so there's sportsman's streams. way of life. Yeah. And you know, my, my wife and I both had grandparents pass away within the first two years after we moved home. Oh, wow. So like, just on a, on a very, you know, intimate personal note, like we got to really reconnect with our grandparents before they passed. My daughter, yeah, my daughter, unfortunately was born like weeks after the second grandparent passed away. So she didn't get to connect, but my son, he has some actual tangible memories of my grandfather, you know, who was sort of the patriarch of my family. Um, and sort of the, the man I want to be someday. So, you know, so I guess it's all those like good feel family, cultural reasons to come home and, and, um, you know, now we're here and uh, sort of accidentally started a business, you know, to begin with. And we're, we're just trying to be a, be a part of the community and, uh, and push the needle in the direction where, you know, where we can see Lafayette kind of continue to grow and prosper.
0: Yeah. Give me one second. Let me adjust this camera.
1: Sure. just want to turn it a little bit. There's
0: more of me showing and I want less of me showing. <laughs> i suck it in. All right. So if I heard you correctly you guys moved back to Lafayette in 2015
1: yeah I think I want to say it was October of 14 and we bought our house the first month okay. of 15 so it was like that in that time that holiday season yeah. gotcha okay so uh,
0: you launched Good Eats Kitchen in 2017 that's right now how long has Good Eats Kitchen been a thought for you because I mean you moving here in 20 late 2014 early 15 uh, moving back, and then a couple of years later, you start a a business yeah. uh, in the culinary world sure. uh, n- with no no hesitation there. Um, what is the what is the thing behind that? Yeah,
1: so the story behind Good Eats Kitchen. Yeah, so when we moved home, um, I secured a position as a as a seafood sales representative for a local seafood company that has a bit of a regional reach. I I bought seafood from them when we were in in Austin, so it was kind of a natural fit. I had a relationship with them and. Um, so almost two years to the day that I took the job and moved here was when I left to, to kind of take Goody's Kitchen on um, but Goody's Kitchen's beginnings truly probably start in January of 2016 um, at the time my younger sister was preparing for a wedding in March uh, my wife was pregnant with child number two and you know my son at the time was this you know kind of crazy three-year-old or, or, or you know two and a half year old and so the, the arrangement we made was you know my sister was was stressing out over being dressed ready for the wedding and so i said look you come over on sundays and watch lewis my son babysit him for a while my wife can go rest you know she was having a difficult pregnancy and i'll i'll do meal prep for both of us and we'll just split the cost of food and so we did that for two weeks Two weekends in a row, and then the third weekend it was my mom wanted meals made, and then the fourth weekend it was my mom and my cousin wanted meals made. So I'm cooking for four people, and it's taken my entire Sunday. And so I said, okay, well let's 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 enterprise this. Let's let's make some money off of it. Tell I told my mom and my cousin, go tell for, the, up. Go <laughs> tell the women. Well, go tell the women. We were just splitting the cost yeah, of food. Yeah, so yeah. go tell the, the the people at your office. I'm offering this service eight dollars a meal. Here's the menu, and it was like dropping a bomb in a rat hole you know i mean it, it, it went crazy so within i started sending they sent emails to me and i'd send like a little email weekly here's the menu let me know what you want and i set up a square uh account to yeah, legitimize yeah. and take credit card payments and um then i started getting email orders from people that i don't know and that i didn't see so like it just there was this organic growth where someone would order and then tell somebody at their office or their group or their network and then they'd send them the email when it would go out and and so by the summer of 2016, I was making three or 400 meals a weekend out of my home, sort of, you know. By yourself? By myself, yeah. It was uh, w- with the village. I mean, at that point, my mom was coming over every weekend <laughs> to babysit the kids while I was cooking and uh, just destroying my grill out back because I'm cooking, you know, 50, 60 pounds of flank steak at a time. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, really running a commercial operation. Um, and so we really kind of, at some point, you know, you listen to enough. Uh, read enough business books and entrepreneur podcasts, you know, when do you take something and legitimize it? And, and for me, it was at some point over that summer, the income we were generating with, with this little Good Eats Kitchen model was outpacing the real job,
0: you know? Okay, so at that point, good. it's
1: like, okay, well, and and I was back to just working all the time. I, I, I you know, I don't think I was really sacrificing my day job, but then from Friday night after I left Costco from, from shopping for the weekend, I cooked all weekend. So there was no downtime and it was it was time to pick one. And I saw the bigger upside in, in, in really formalizing Good Eats Kitchen. And in our time in Austin, we were familiar with a concept exactly like what we're doing that was, even before we left Texas, that there were probably 30 or 40 locations. Now It's a much bigger markets than Acadiana and Baton Rouge. But so we kind of had an idea of what it could be and, and a vision of, of what the retail store could look like. And uh, so in September of 16 I, uh yeah six, September of 16 I quit my job and and focused just on sort of operating out of the house for six months or so yeah and, uh, we began to look for a commercial kitchen so we could legitimize legally and and, and open a retail store and um, we signed our lease in the oil center the first little store we have there um, in I think uh, March or April of 17 and then the kind of dominoes fell from there we hired our our chef and our marketing guy and we the three of us operated in the kitchen out of my home kitchen for a while until we could get the kitchen and the retail store ready to roll yeah. and then it was that that june of 2017 that we opened that first that first retail store in the oil center
0: okay so you launched in the summer and from that summer how long how many months did it take you to go from are, when you say launched was that like
1: formalized that's, that, that's when the retail store actually opened gotcha. so that's when we went from being sort of a an at-home mail-in-your-order, come pick it up at my house on Sunday right. night model to a legitimate health inspection—you know, yeah. uh, certified business with the state operating in a retail space. Okay.
0: So my question now is, how long did it take you to go from cooking for your mom and a couple of family members yeah. to it starting? It started going. So, to speak, viral with okay. other people you did not know, you're getting orders from people you did not know. How long did it take to go from that point to, you know, opening the retail store? Because it sounded like it moved quick.
1: Yeah. So, it was probably a little more than a year from, from the point where, you know, that that initial kind of aha moment where we started getting orders from, or I started getting orders from people that, that weren't directly connected to me um, until we opened the store, you know. So, from the time that that kind of happened in, I call it February or March. I mean, I quit my job that September, so that that first step happened really quick. Right. Um, and then from that point on, it was probably six or seven months until we opened the store. So it it was about a a year, year and a half from the the first eight meals I made for my sister and I, to opening our first retail store. Okay. And so what's what was some of the meals like? They were they like hearty I mean, home
0: cooked meals, or was yeah, it supposed I mean, to they be healthy? They,
1: so we wanted a, a healthier twist on things. You know, I'm not a I mean, for those of you watching, i mean, I'm a big guy, right? I'm not I'm not a dietitianist or nutritionist, but I'm I'm am a chef, and so it was it was just real food, quality ingredients, you know, zero to no salt added, um, and I mean the first menu was like the chicken enchiladas, which we still have on the menu now and has been our top seller from the beginning. Um, you know, some of it was your typical meal prep stuff back in the day, some type of lean ground turkey with rice and broccoli. Um, you know, cooking in my home and by myself, I had to make it streamlined and easy and and then once we brought chef jake on who's still our chef today we were able to really lean on you know the quality ingredients and and sort of chef prepared mentality and bring some really cool dishes that that you know a lot of the food we put out you easily find in any of the casual restaurants in town same same or better quality ingredient it's just fully cooked and ready for the microwave you know so it's a uh, it, it was a really big range of, of food in the beginning, and I had about a six-week rotational menu. So five, five meals a, um, you know, a week. So we had 30 or 40 different items we offered in the first few months.
0: And so you said your most popular was uh, chicken enchilada? Still
1: today, it's a green chili chicken enchilada. And so it's just uh, some green chili braised chicken thighs rolled up in some corn tortillas. You know, To give it a little bit of a healthier twist, we, we make a, uh, an avocado crema. So it's a yogurt base, avocado, uh, lime, cilantro, pureed up, and that goes right over the top. So you kind of get that sauce consistency of an, of an enchilada, but without any of the heavy fat or cream or uh, yeah. you know butter or yeah. what whatnot. So it, it's just a sort of a healthier version of an enchilada, you know. Which okay. is which is where we that's where we try to live. Um, I like to say we're not a weight loss solution. We're not a fad diet. We're just we're just good eats, you know. Um, and we're for everybody. It's if you're a young professional, to someone shopping for their, you know, their mom who can't leave the house, it, it's there's something for everybody in the store. Okay. And what's the reason for no salt? Uh, so for us, it, it it's just there's a health component there. You know, we, we while we didn't want to be a fad diet option, we wanted to be real food. You know, and so there is salt in our meals, but any of the spice blends we use, there's no sodium added. You don't you don't need salt to make food taste good right now it is a flavor enhancer but if you're heavy-handed like most of us are here in south louisiana you're gonna end up with heart issues and and, and <laughs> everything else that goes with it so you know we use different acids vinegars we use cooking techniques to draw flavors out like we're charring we're charring our broccoli we're you know we're grilling meats and fishes and so you're, you're able to use culinary techniques to make food flavorful instead of just having to hit it with a bunch of salt and pepper you okay. know um, and so for, for us that was just one of the easy ways to To try to modify some of the eating behavior, um, and and you can always add salt. You can never yeah. take, You can never yeah. take it out. You can't take it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, this is kind of a, a side note to this particular portion of the conversation. So there's a uh, popular YouTuber, TikToker. Uh, his name's
1: Uncle Roger. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'm, I'm, you're a busy the, guy. The so. only TikToking is the, the clock in my room. I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm not a I Facebook and Instagram. That's about it. Okay. Okay. So
0: his name is Uncle Roger. He's a uh, he's an Asian guy who lives in the UK. Okay. He has this. Uh, he's a comedian, but he has this persona of this stereotypical uh, Chinese, Asian, Japanese guy, you know, with a heavy accent. Okay. And one of his things is critiquing fried rice recipes. Okay. And he's watched uh, Gordon Ramsay do one, and Gordon Ramsay apparently does a great one. Okay. He's watched uh, uh, Jamie. Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver, butcher. Butcher fried rice. (laughs) Sure. I mean, this guy literally screamed the entire episode of the, (laughs) the, the video. And so, one of the things that Uncle Roger mentions in all of these videos when these chefs use regular salt, like just, it can be sea salt, it can just be just regular salt. He cringes because he says, Why are you not using the king of flavor? MSG All right and there's a lot of a lot of talk right now in the food world about MSG and sure. the, 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 the why was it a what was it ever a bad thing why why is MSG so looked down upon because you go to these Chinese buffets and they advertise boldly no MSG sure when it's been found that MSG is a super flavor enhancer i think even places like chick-fil-a have msg in their seasoning Mm -hmm. maybe not a lot but enough to where there's something
1: about it that keeps your taste like wanting it and i'm no i mean i'm no you know biochemist or or expert yeah i want your i want your opinion so so, you know we don't use it you know and and there are some health implications but what msg also does is it's a it's a has addictive properties Mm -hmm. right so it it it's a way to create that craving (laughs) without having to have something that is truly crave worthy. Okay. You know what I mean? So like, instead of having your favorite, you know, your favorite pizza joint that just makes a great pie and you want to go get it, you can have this mediocre pizza and you sprinkle it with something that's loaded with MSG. And now it tricks the brain into thinking, man, that's the best pizza I've ever had. Right. So that's why your fast food restaurants and you know, your, your big box chain chip companies, they load it up because it, it creates that, that, reaction in the brain to where you you almost get addicted to the product you know
0: well let me tell you if 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 chick-fil-a took msg out of their chicken i think i'd still love (laughs) it it. they'd probably still be okay and their mac
1: and cheese is pretty good too
0: yeah their mac and cheese is pretty legit but i'm i'm into their grilled chicken right now okay and they just launched a spicy grilled chicken
1: that's amazing can't it can't be popeyes though with that i mean i'm i'm a popeyes chicken sandwich oh my god look okay. okay
0: I know that's a debate. Uh, if we're talking about <laughs> different, fried chicken. podcast, right? Right, right, right. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the, the topic at hand. But uh, if it comes to chicken debate, fried chicken, um, you know, Chick-fil-A and Popeyes are like neck and neck. Uh, something about Popeyes, their pickles are thick. Yeah. They're super thick. The bread is just buttery. It's just, buttery. It's yeah, just yeah. there's something about it. And, of course, you can't. You can't deny the signature flavor that is Popeye's batter yeah, and their like marination. And sure. Like it's just it's just great. Um, it's not great for you. No, not at
1: all. But in probably, moderation, probably has MSG in it, you know,
0: it probably does. But within moderation, you know, yeah. one or two, every once in a while, isn't gonna kill you per sure. se. Uh, but we can talk about food, yeah, like yeah. us uh, Southerners here. Okay, so at what point in in the the whole process did was there ever a point where you thought, like, what's next for Good Eats Kitchen? Like, I have this product. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing out all this healthy food. This can't be, like, the the, the rat wheel that I stay in. Like, what, what what bigger picture did you see in 2017, 2018 for Good Eats Kitchen? Yeah,
1: and so, ref- so, so there's sort of two avenues there that, that – one – from the onset, you know, we, we had a vision, I say we, like my, my father and I are, are business partners in this. And so when I say we, it's typically he and I. <clears throat> um, you know, we, we had a vision from the beginning of growing the business into uh, a rather large regional footprint from a retail perspective. So multiple retail stores. Um, it, it's very much an economies of scale business model. You know, you, the, we, we've kind of had the rush to scale to, to try to find profitability. Um, so that that was sort of driving the, the early decisions. Um, and then it really became obvious. So in, in, in December of 2018, we opened the Youngsville store, um, which you helped us out with, which we subsequently closed, I don't know, a little less than a year later. Just the economics of that space didn't make sense for our model. It was one of those sort of lessons where we opened that six months after we opened the first one. Right. And we didn't know what we didn't know. You know, we ended up with twice the refrigeration space that we needed so we had to have way more food in the shelves than we could sell just to make it not look empty you know those those kinds of experiences and had an opportunity to the the neighboring tenant wanted our space we were able to kind of walk away from some mistakes and reallocate some assets to some baton rouge locations and so anyway in that interim between the first door and closing youngsville we also realized that there's a there's a, a wholesale model that is that has some real potential you know and so whether that's selling good eats kitchen in grocery stores uh, franchising the good eats kitchen retail model um, a white label production of, of prepared meals there's there really at the time was nothing in the area that had that kind of capability so you know we we kind of went on on early on with two visions for the business and one being you know growing the retail footprint whether our own growth or, or the eventual franchise model and then two, bringing to life a production facility, you know, truly like we're in a kitchen now, we're in an old restaurant. But to to get to the scale that I I want to take the company, it's going to require a food manufacturing facility, right? One that specializes in prepared meals. So it's it's not your typical co-packer, which is kind of what these facilities are called in the industry. Um, it, it's a completely different layout of the kitchen and the workflow, and so so that's really the the big picture, the vision of where we pre COVID where we were trying to, to take the business. You know? Okay.
0: Um, so uh, we um, we interviewed a company uh, last week, Kibiria, Mm-hmm. and you and I were talking about that episode before we went on. Um, Kibaria sounds a lot like the the kitchen setup that you would need. Yeah,
1: and, and I don't know much about the business other than, uh, you know, watch the podcast or listen to the podcast earlier this morning on my drive. Um but it but it's it's it, it's from a regulatory perspective, it sounds like sort of where we where we were and and hopefully still plan to go you know um I mean I think there's a need for it I know for us to grow where we want to grow, there's definitely a need you know and, and I think too that that again even with and it's kiberia right not Kai, kiberia Kiberia. I remember her saying not like new Iberia so Kiber, yeah. kiberia foods Even with their facility, from what I gather from photos and the conversation, they're set up for large batch cooking, right? Which is what your typical co-packing food manufacturing company set up. She mentions like the big tilt skillets. So when you're cooking at that volume, it's for large batches of tabbouleh or hummus or, you know, boil in the bag, gumbos or stocks. There still aren't very many, That there are none that I know in the state that are uh, facility wise that are set up to do high volume portioned individual meals okay, that's right. so, that, so that's the differentiation between just the workflow is the same you know the facility probably with some equipment modifications would be exactly what we need um but but that's sort of the, the the differentiator i think between what what i believe they are and i don't have too much intimate knowledge of it uh and what we hope to build at some point in time so here. you guys hey, want to build a,
0: a facility that basically lends itself to prepared meals prepared meals Absolutely. and then white high, labeling a high at some... volume
1: yeah high volume production of individual meals okay you know, which is which is a little bit of a different it's different machinery it's different cooking equipment even um, you know there, there's a lot of technology out there that, that can help I, I've spent some time at a, uh, a food manufacturing equipment company in Kansas City that that we now use one of their machines to seal our meals for our e-commerce model um, but there's a lot of ways to not automate the cooking, but automate the, the packaging process that would make it really efficient. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a really just a, it's part of the challenge to bringing it to life is it's a highly specialized facility. Yeah. You know,
0: one, there's a question I've always had with, you know, especially even with Kibaria Kib, uh, and as well as your company is how do you maintain, um, the foods, freshness like I know there's a shelf life. Sure. Especially without preservatives. I mean if you have little to no salt, that's also yep. gonna lend to its expiration date. Yeah.
1: So, you know, in stores for us, you know, we give everything a five day quality shelf life. Now it's still good a few days after that. That's typically what, what we're eating at home is the, you know, the expired meals, quote unquote. Um, but it's just it, it's some diligent forecasting. Uh, there's always spoilage in, in the retail model, right? You you have to have food on the shelves. And when you end up on a crazy weekend like this with the weather in Louisiana, we might <laughs> lo- we might lose a lot of it. Right. So we have some, some partners when we do have food that expires and hits that fifth date and doesn't sell, it goes straight into the freezer and we donate it to the second harvest food bank. Um, but so for us, it's just, it's diligently trying our best to, to be accurate with our projections and, and we're cooking like five days a week, you know, so it, it's, you're constantly refilling the shelves. You know, we have a store, uh we had three in baton rouge pre covid we're down to one there so we're we at least three days a week we're moving product from one store to the other to balance inventory so it's really just an inventory management and logistics challenge um that that is probably the biggest challenge of our business um you know making sure you have food not too much not too little it's it's like if we could figure it out we'd probably be in a better spot But but that's that's the big challenge and now, the, the machine that I just referenced, too, that, that we use to seal our meals, <clears throat> we, we're we not using this particular meal tray in our stores at the moment. It's just e-commerce, uh, direct-to-consumer, but that machine has the ability to do what's called MAP packaging, M-A-P, it's Modified Atmospheric Packaging. So the machine, before it puts this little seal on the tray, is able to remove all of the oxygen and inject it with a cocktail of it's typically typically like a nitrogen oxygen mixture you'd have to have some some scientists come in and get the right (laughs) mix for you but but that could take our five day shelf life and take it to seven to eight days okay so so there's some there's some technology that can help mitigate the spoilage factor and extend the shelf life without the addition of preservatives and um you know so that that's something we're going to play with down the road the machine we have just doesn't it's sort of a two trays at a time manual machine that I don't. We don't think it could handle the volume we do for our store, So at some point we'll make the switch um, yeah. when we can all either either get a bigger machine that's automated or um, or figure out a way to really make it make it keep up with our volume.
0: Yeah, you mentioned something uh, in this in in this part of the conversation that uh, I want to touch on. So you said you donate any of the uh, food that is not technically sellable as far as like shelf life goes in the store, sure. you donate it so that it doesn't go to waste. It's still good right. food because you guys said you eat it at home. Correct. So you said you guys uh, donate to Second Harvest Food Bank. Um, but you also started donating to, um, there's a new thing, uh, the community fridge. That's right. Uh, the Lafayette Community Fridge. And we wrote about it. Um, so I have a photo that I'm going to put up. So this photo right here is uh, a photo of before... When the fridge was uh, just at its normal, I guess, everyday kind of um, inventory, and then next is what you guys did. You guys loaded this sucker up with food. So how often do you guys donate to now the uh, the Second Harvest and as well as the uh, the food the uh, the refrigerator? Yeah.
1: So so it's sort of two different. Programs for lack of a better term. So the second harvest partnership we have Those are exclusively unsold meals that we freeze on on that fifth day again, it's still Safe and healthy and nutrient dense just doesn't meet our quality standard Uh, the only freezers we have in our stores are these small little chest freezers with the intent of The meals go in the day that they hit the date. So we instantly stop any aging, right? So it's usually every two weeks or so that we make a donation to Second Harvest. With, um, with our involvement in the Community Fridge project, which I'm very excited about, um, you know, and I'm, I wanna make sure that I'm clear, like I, we didn't lead this thing, we're just supporting it, right? There's yeah. a group of people, um, our sous chef actually, his wife is involved with the group that put it together. And so that's kind of how we were able to get involved pretty early. Um, but typically at least once a week, lately it's been on like our Tuesday production, we will cook 35 to 45 meals with the intent of putting them straight in the back refrigerator. So, okay. So that model was more of a so – we're, we're bringing fresh, perfectly good food into that fridge. Without even
0: – so this is not even on the fifth day No, no this is – Like
1: we, we have a – you know, we've got this spreadsheet that our team works off of in our production kitchen. There's a column in there for the community fridge that, you know, I typically – in a weird way, it kind of helps us. Like, you know, if our rhythms were strange and we've only got four or five of a meal to cook, it's not really efficient. I'll just throw four or five more of that meal for the community fridge. So now we can be more efficient at producing that meal. But those meals are... So anytime you see something we posted or you, you swing by to make your own donations, if there's a Goody's Kitchen meal in there, it was cooked for that that fridge specifically, you know? And for me, it, it's... um the The sort of the the mission behind good eats kitchen and what, it, what ha, that has evolved into and how we make high level decisions is it's not on the wall anywhere but it would be if we had a nice office you know is that you know good eats, i like to say goodies kitchen exists to enrich the lives of the people in the communities in which we do business you know and so every decision we make every donation request we get that's the that's the check and balance like how, how is it going to impact the people of our community or our community as a whole and so when this when this project launched, it was just this natural fit for us to to really live our values and and be a part of something. And hopefully, you know, we're only going once a week. And I will say there have been days where I've where I've gone and it's not empty, like the one you showed, where I've got to make yeah. magic happen to <laughs> make food fit. So like it's not just us. You know, yeah. there, there's definitely other people. I know Taco Sisters yep. uh, is doing it as well. You know, we're collecting donations, non-perishables at our store to fill up a pantry. There's a little metal locker pantry next door for perishable, uh, non-perishables. You know, so for me, it's just a great opportunity to actively live the values of the business, hopefully make an impact on, on, on some folks, but try to lead by example. You know, we've got a pretty decent influence in the business community, even if it's just from a, you know, social media perspective, we've got a nice following, average, I would say, but maybe just just our efforts will inspire two or three people to get on involved and you know i mean it's gumbo season man jar up a couple of you know a couple of extra pieces of gum uh, tubs of gumbo and throw it on there and and go drop it off you know it's at the mcmillan's pub on, on simcoe um, it's just uh, a great way to, to help yeah. help make a difference in the community
0: I'll tell you what uh, some good gumbo to put in that fridge would be from Chris's Pull Boys if, uh, if anybody from Chris's Pull Boys is listening uh, <laughs> the challenge is laid yeah the challenge is laid look I love to call people out so uh but, no, so that's actually where I'm going to lunch after this is the Chris's Po' Boys. one of my friends that I eat lunch with every day. Nice. Uh, every time a Colt's nap happens, I almost can bet that he wants to go to Chris's Po' Boys for a gumbo. Get their gumbo. Yeah, because okay. they have, as far as restaurant goes, yeah. they have some of the best gumbo. It's okay. It's, uh, I don't know if you've ever had No, it. I have had their Po' Boys. Oh, never my God. You... Get their gumbo. Right, we'll, I'll check it get out. Get their gumbo. They sell it by what they call the log. Basically, it's like a big long bag, <laughs> and they sell it. It's like hundred and forty dollars to buy this bag Jeez. of like ready to go gumbo that you can bring to your house and yeah. like serve as a at a party. Okay, that's cool. But uh, they make it fresh every day at the uh, Pinhook location. Okay. And then they distribute it to the locations so the they stores. have. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, there might only be two locations though now. I think it's the Pinhook and I think uh, Ambassador. Yeah. You should try their gumbo. I want to Tell check you it good. out. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not advertising for them, but they're good. Um, okay, so we're at a we're at 42 minutes, and I normally try to keep this about 45 minutes, so I'm okay. kind of move along here. Sure. Um, you guys are starting a ha, had started something else uh, as well, and it is the.
1: Bayou Charlin Oyster Company. So, so Bayou Carlin. Carlin. Okay. Yeah, so that that's. Uh, Sorry, I, I don't know that, why that, I put an H. That, that's okay. Um, and so that that's a, a bit of a passion project of mine that that started during the pandemic. And so first of all, Bayou Carlin is the sort of formal name of the Delcom Canal. So the name of the business was sort of an homage to the hometown. Uh, for all those people out there listening that are going to criticize. I'm well aware there are no oysters in Bayou Carlin. It's not salty enough, but it's <laughs> it's we're throwing them back to the roots, right? So the way that came about is, is in October, we actually launched a statewide shipping model for Good Eats Kitchen. So you, right now you can ship our meals next day, twice a week, all over the state of Louisiana. We've got a completely eco-friendly packaging kit. The box is recycled material. The Styrofoam is a corn-based eco-friendly product that will melt you can put it in your sink run the water and it melts away it's completely environmentally okay. safe um so and, and so we're, we're developing a new website that when we launch will begin to expand to a regional model so as we were beginning that conversation i wanted to play around with something e-commerce to kind of learn with you know so sort of like launch some little website with this product that may <laughs> not matter just to learn a few things that i can apply to good eats kitchen and so when looking around at what products that weren't there that I had a passion for, that I thought I could do, obviously it's food-based, that's my world, couldn't really find anything in like the grilled oyster market. Like yeah. Drago's has a kit that you can buy, but it's like it, you get a bag full of the oyster meat and the little fake full oyster shells and a tub of butter and you've got to thaw it and put it all together. And But there was nothing that had this like you go down the shucks and you get grilled oysters or you do, you know, we do it at home all the time. But I have access through my seafood company to order a sack of oysters, and I know how to shuck them. It doesn't take me three hours, and I know how to make the butter. So I decided to launch Bayou Carlin Oyster Company. I actually first bought the domain grilledoysterkits.com, and that was going to be the business. But then when you started to... I'm a big believer in having to build a brand and an identity. That just didn't sound right. So that's when Bayou Carlin Oyster Company came to life. So that's sort of a dual-domained area. And... um developed this product where it's basically a pre-shucked oyster in the half shell. It's topped with right now we have four flavored compound butters on the website. IQF frozen and they It still is at the moment strictly e-commerce, but so I launched it in October. had a little bit of success, you know did a little dabbling in some some e-commerce and, and social marketing but then holiday season came around and it was an unbelievable like smash hit for shipping gifts to people and especially in a covid world where you had people not necessarily traveling for the holidays mm-hmm. so now you could like ship a taste of home i mean i had i had a gentleman in, in abbeville spend almost 120 bucks just on the shipping to ship like six dozen to california it was it was just, it was wow. mind blowing the 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 pace at which it it exploded for lack of a better term and the price people were willing to pay. Cause most of it's next day or two day, they ship with dry ice. You're basically shipping rocks. So it's heavy, you know, so shipping's expensive. It is a, it is a bit of a barrier to the business, but people were paying it. And so it, it's been really fun to kind of see that develop. And, and now since it, it's been a while, we're the, the we're working through regulations with the FDA to get the product certified with the state for wholesale. So all I'm waiting on at this point is the state office to kind of catch up. They're behind because of COVID as well. And so we're hopefully two to four weeks away from having the first flavor permitted with the state uh, and certified for wholesale. So we'll be able to go ahead and put it in retail stores, grocery stores, um, you know, wholesale to restaurants outside of the state that want to offer something like that, but don't have the labor, the resources, the access. Uh, you know, So for me, it just, it's kind of become a great way to, be a proponent of the Louisiana seafood industry and the oyster industry and, and bring some economic diversity, ship, ship some oysters out and and bring, bring some out of state money in. So um, I'm really excited about that particular project. Um, I think there's a huge market for it. And and it's one of those weird, I keep waiting to hit the brick wall. Like why hasn't anyone thought of (laughs) this yet? You know, and, and regulation wise things are working out and there's interest everywhere. And so, so I just think it's a great opportunity for, someone who likes oysters to be able to just thaw a dozen and put them straight on the grill yeah. and you're ready to rock and roll and not have to go through where do i buy a sack of oysters and now i've got to shuck them and i just stab myself in the hands so and now i gotta to go to the emergency room like it yeah it eliminates all of that it makes it makes it really easy to tell your friends that you're some type of gourmet chef and, and grill <laughs> some oysters at home you know
0: awesome man okay so um you got that going on and you, i see right here in your notes uh you're hoping to be in retail stores by the end of March 2021
1: with it. Yeah, that, that's the hope. So we were—I was really hoping to be in stores by Super Bowl. That was sort yeah. of the, the real big push. Um, unfortunately, state, the state—the state office is just moving really slow. I mean, there yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's—it some of it is just the process takes a long time for whatever reason. It's not digital. It's all done on paper. <laughs> and, and the other is they're just. I mean, they're, they're working like two days a week in yeah. office and no one's working. this. So it's like it's already a long process that's now broken. So, right. you know, we're just kind of at the mercy of the of the process. Um, but hopefully by the end of March, it, we're, we're live and, and selling these things and and some of the local grocery stores.
0: Yeah. All right. Last last uh, little tidbit, <clears throat> trying to be respectful of time here. Um, you have something else coming up pretty soon that's projected to open in April of 2021. You want to tell us about that? We do.
1: So this project is called cultivation kitchen. Um, and I'm sort of one of the founding board members for lack of a better term, of what this group of, of three or four of us all are. Um, and this, what this is, is it's a, it's a facility we're building inside of the tops appliances building on Johnson street. Okay. And so, you know, the team is sort of myself, uh, Sherry Latour who owns the building and the business. Um, Tara Guidry with Cajun Crepe. And then Daphne Olivier, who's, uh, she's the unconventional dietitian. Uh, actually, uh, she's sort of the catalyst. Like she's sort of the reason how we all kind of know each other. Um, but what we're building is we're building two short-term rentable kitchen spaces. Um, you know, we had the Acadiana food hub for a while that, that was doing something similar to this, an incubator kitchen. Um, we're, we're bringing this to life in a, in the private sector. So it's, not necessarily a for-profit model, but it's a non—it's not a non-profit model. So we're able to kind of do things a little differently, give scholarships if we if we see fit. And so we've got a number of clients or tenants ready to lease the space. And the intent is to really tap into the food industry in Acadiana. I mean, if you go to the farmer's market, we've got all kinds of makers of really cool and neat products. I mean, the oysters are an example. You know, uh, Corey Champagne, who's got Acadiana Slice, is, is one of our, our potential tenants. And just the guy just makes a really cool product. He's just not ready to have his own facility. So what we're going to bring to life is, is an opportunity for someone to rent a space, two hours a month, five days a week, whatever your needs are, there'll be some plan that fits your need. That would be a USDA, I'm sorry, an FDA or department of health permitted space to operate. Whether you're baking something, making a salsa, you've got a spice blend you got that barbecue sauce your friends keep telling you the Rouse's would sell in a heartbeat. Whatever your story is, right? Right. Not only will we give you a facility, but we're going to offer business services. We're going to offer marketing and e-commerce support. You know, we're going to offer sort of a hand-holding through the regulatory process, which, as I just mentioned, is incredibly tedious and difficult. Like, I've done that through the years on a number of products. So we just have this, that group of four people has a really diverse set of skills that we're prepared to offer services so that you can come in with even just a basic idea and we can help you take it to market or yeah. you can come in with an actual product that's in market and we can give you the tools and the space and the and the services to scale to some some level before you've got to go out and have your product made for you. So I'm I'm really excited about that too. Again, it just sort of continues that community support, you know, mantra that we're trying to live by and um, I, I think it's going to be just the, like, we're not even promoting it yet. And the amount of people that are coming to us that, that are interested in the space and the service, uh, is pretty incredible. So I, I think, you know, we'll give you the insight on that one. When it, when, we, when we're ready for pictures, we'll, we'll give you a call. Yeah, to come promote be great. It. Um, but I think, I think it's going to be a really great asset to the community as well. Um, just to have people who have an idea and don't know how to take it to market. The food industry can be tough to navigate. You know, it'll be kind of a one-stop shop to help them navigate it.
0: Yeah, and I see you're going to have support for uh, uh marketing and web design and uh, all that good stuff as far as development services go. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hey,
1: even purchasing. You know, so like a lot of operators when they're either if you're a food truck or you're just getting started, you're running to like Costco and Sam's and you're trying mm-hmm. to you're trying to find the deals. Well, what what the vision that I have for the purchasing model is if you have ten or fifteen tenants that are all buying little pieces, then if you can consolidate that and and have someone manage that process and order from some of the larger distributors, well, now you get the buying power of 20 or 30 people, even though you're still buying your small shopping list, so to speak, you know? Um, So even that component, I think is going to be helpful for the tenants to have the ability to plug into a larger purchasing network than just them. Yeah, man, you got your hands full. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, you know, still find time to, coach baseball and soccer and hopefully try to be a good husband and and good father so it's we've uh 2020 was resilience like that was the theme you know and i think we i think that was a theme for almost any business and we've come through it and um you know i think we've positioned ourselves and and some of these new ventures to, to really be uh to be poised for some some great potential and good opportunities you know
0: true man okay so i have your your website up here. So this is the the Good Eats Kitchen website, and I'm pretty sure uh, Cloud Nine is going to love that I'm showing this because I'm pretty sure they helped build it, right?
1: Yeah, they're they. So Cloud Nine handles all of our our design, and um, if if you order, uh, we're really proud of our our shipping box. So if you ever order yeah. some meals to be shipped, you got this really great looking branded box that uh, Kaylee there hand drew all of the. Icons I watched the video. And, yeah, uh, yeah, of, of being, cool. But It's cool. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so the website's really nicely done, and it all has these uh, fancy little slide-ins. I saw your truck just slide in That's right it. there. You know, and and we've got a stuff. new
1: site that we're developing with a local firm as well that, that when it launches will be sort of a custom platform and offers subscription models and, and all that stuff. So you know, sort of going to evolve to put us in position to, to lean more into the e-commerce segment.
0: Awesome. And so um, I got your website for Bayou Carlin oyster company here too so uh so that people can kind of see that and how that's going and uh you can buy off of the website correct that's correct so right
1: now that's the only avenue to purchase is through the website uh you know we ship nationwide um we do have the option to add good eats kitchen stores as a pickup so locally um you can place an order on the website and select you know one of our stores to pick up um and like I said, hopefully once we get the permitting through, then we'll have another section of the website added with our retail partners, and we'll we'll begin putting them in stores locally. And you can you can throw a dozen on the grill next time you throw some steaks out, or tailgate for baseball <laughs> season or football season. It'll be it'll be a nice nice added bonus, I think. Awesome.
0: All right. So uh, if you guys are still watching, this is the website for Bayou Carlin Oyster Company. You just look on your screen there. Uh, if you found the website, you'll know it. It's going to have their logo. Uh, and it has grilled oyster kits right in the front. And then also, um, we have the Good Eats Kitchen website, which is uh, mygoodeatskitchen.com. That's it. So check them out. Um, you can also order off of there, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, you can order for uh, pre-order for pickup in our stores on Tuesdays or Fridays or delivery on Tuesdays and Fridays. And awesome. We, we deliver currently statewide via FedEx, uh, on those same days.
0: Well, cool, man. Uh, is there anything that you, we didn't talk about that you want to put out there before we wrap up?
1: Man, I feel like we covered a lot. In, we did uh, cover a lot. An hour. We're almost yeah, an hour, I, man. I, uh, I know I can, I can be long winded. I, I don't, I don't think so. I just think, uh, you know, I appreciate the support the community has shown us, you know, uh, we, we really flexed, uh, in the pandemic and offered some delivery components, groceries that, that I think brought some value to the community and and we want to just keep trying to do that. So, um, you know, give us a, give us a follow on social media. Definitely, definitely reach out, uh, on social media to the community Fridge project. Um, I just think that that's something that is going to be a great asset to a very underserved community and within our community, um, and has potential for a lot of, a lot more impact than just where, where where that started. So, um, just give us a follow, keep up. Awesome, yeah, yeah.
0: Like you said, follow uh, Goodies Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they're a great company. Also, uh, of course, they're local, so uh, they'd be glad to take any support that you give them. And uh, you can check out their oyster company too. That'd be that'd be cool if you have some people that live out of state that would like a little Perfect. taste of home if Perfect, they yeah. like
1: oysters. <laughs> Ship a taste of the south.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, before we go, you can also find us on. Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, you know all the what is it? The thirty-one flavors of podcasting. I don't know what it is. There's there's so many, but Apple, uh, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play are our main ones. Uh, of course, if you if you like watching the video, it's you can watch it on Facebook every Friday. Um, we'll have a different guest on, and uh, obviously today we had Boyer and Boyer. Look, I appreciate you coming on. It was uh, it was fun, kind of getting the backstory and learning. Uh, all the different paths you've taken to get to this point, and I'm pretty sure in about five years there'll be several new paths
1: <laughs> that will be worthy of talking about. We, we hope so. It's uh, I appreciate you having me on today to tell the story, and, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, these things keep growing and keep building, and we can keep having fun and, and promoting South Louisiana. You know? Awesome F- foods are foods are underutilized resource from an economic oh, perspective, yeah. in my opinion. You I know. know.
0: I agree. Well, Boyer, it was great having you. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Thank you for watching. And don't forget to uh, check us out next Friday. We'll have a new guest. Uh, I'm working on a couple. I'm working on getting um, Cupid. You know the Cupid yeah, shuffle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm working on getting him. So uh, we'll see if that comes to fruition. But uh, we have a bunch of great guests coming on in the fr- the Fridays to follow. So you guys, just uh, check us out. And anyway, have a good Friday, Boyer. Have a great Friday and a
1: great weekend. You as well. Thanks, you. having All right.
0: For information on sponsoring the Tea Podcast by Developing Lafayette, go to our website at developinglafayette.com and click Advertise.